Good morning. Glad that you're here this morning. Glad that it's not minus 30 out. Always a little nicer when you go out and it's not so cold that you just want to go right back in. Turn into 1 Corinthians. We're going to get there in a minute. I, uh, like Corey, I do like the Olympics. Glad that he brought that up. There's a lot of dedication that goes into that, a lot of hard work and effort that goes into that. I was, uh, as a side note, I was at the, the rink here in Carmen the other day, and the other day, it was yesterday, and uh, there's an Olympic jersey hanging in the, in the canteen, all nice and signed by all the Canadian women who are on the hockey team, which won this morning against, who was against, not Russia, but team representing or athletes from Russia. Anyway, you should go check out that jersey if you want. It's cool. It's all signed. Anyway, uh, I want to start by talking about uh, my children. Only one of them is here today. The other one is homesick. He's been sick for a few days. I, I love my kids. They're good kids. Most of the time, they're good kids. I, I have the privilege of watching them grow and learn, of seeing the world differently than I see it, of arguing with them about the way they see the world, trying to shape how they, how they view it, trying to pass on or instill any little bit of, of wisdom. But you get to see the uniqueness of them, the unique strengths, the unique weaknesses, um, the different personalities, how they can be so not only different in how they look, but different in, in how they act and want to respond in certain uh, situations. Ben is almost always go, 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 and Noah's almost back up, back up, back up. And there's, there's awesomeness in, in both of those things. And it's, it's wonderful, you know, it, it's wonderful to see that, to see them learning, to see them failing, to see them trying and, and not giving up, to see all of those things. And there's just, you know, I was looking at, at pictures the other day of, of them when they were just little. You know, just these itty-bitty little things that, especially the, not that we didn't care about the second one, but the very first one, you know, you get that first little baby and you're like, people want to hold it and you're like, I don't know if I can trust you holding my baby. I'm, you may have like 10 kids of your own, but I don't know if you can handle holding this tiny little thing. You just, all of the, the growth and learning and, and you wonder where it's going. Right? You wonder what they're going to be like in another five years, ten years, twenty years. And you hope to be able to see it and experience it. I wonder, often, wonder what it's like for God to look down at us as his creation. That he created the world, he, he breathed life into man, he formed mankind. It says that he knows us intimately, he knows who we are. He knows the, the, the hairs on our head. He knows the words that have come off our tongue. I wonder what he thinks when he sees us. What, what it is that, that is, that goes through, as we want to put it in kind of human terms, goes through his mind 
when he looks at us as his creation, as we struggle to, to be better as we live and as we learn, as we fall down and pick ourselves up, as we, as we fail and as we repent, and, and all of those things that we, that we are. It's one thing to, for us as, as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, or children, even ourselves, to look around and see the struggle of humanity around us, our family, our friends. But for our God, who is so perfect and wonderful and righteous and holy, to look down and see that which he created. We see in Scripture over and over again the desire, the ultimate desire that God has for man to have what is good. God, God wants his creation to have what is good. In the very beginning, when he created the world, he created man into this world, he looked at it and said it was what? It was good. And then, it, including in man, it was, it was very good. God, God wanted what was good for man. He wants what is good for man. Even now, in a, in a hard world, in a harsh world, in a world of darkness and sin and all that, God wants what is good for man, for us as his creation. It's why he calls us to him, right? Because who is good? Who alone but God is good? And so he calls us to him because he wants for us what is good. He calls us into a relationship with him because he wants us to be saved from our sin, from our death. He wants what is good for us. And we want to, often we want to make choices that go in different directions. Satan puts forth all of these things and says, oh, but what about this? This looks good. This will probably taste good. This will be good for wisdom or knowledge. Go ahead and, and take a bite of that. You go back to Adam and Eve and they did that exact thing, right? God said, don't, don't do this. Don't do this one thing. And they looked at the fruit and said, but it looks good. And it looks like it could give us wisdom and knowledge. God wants for us what is good. It is good to be his child, isn't it? I, I look at my kids and I know that I'm, I'm flawed as a parent. Don't tell them that, but I'm well, too late, I guess. I, I'm flawed as a parent. I have the things that I... I know where my weakness is. It is good to be a child of God who calls us to be in a relationship with Him, to be at peace with Him who is good and perfect. Not flawed. Not going to make mistakes. But is good to draw near to Him. And if you're in that position, if, you, if you're in that relationship with God where you know that you're at peace with God, you know the absolute wonder of what that is. And, and, and you know what life looks like and how great it is to be his child. If you're not, if you have yet to come into a relationship with God that, that is at peace with God, you have yet to respond in, in faith 
to obedience to the gospel, then I, I will tell you right now, fairly bluntly, that you cannot put that off. It is not a decision to be put off. It's not a decision to be turned away from. Make the decision to repent. To repent and be baptized, to be faithful. Faithful to our God, faithful to the gospel that he gave us, to his son. It is the only way, the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. I know when I was uh, much younger, I had to mull over, and that's maybe the way my, my brain works. I, I had to, you know, come to this understanding of, of why I should do what I knew that I needed to do. And I did the exact opposite of what I just told you you shouldn't do. I put it off. And I had reasons, I had excuses, I had thoughts, I had justifications on, on why that was a good idea, on, on why I was doing what was, what was right, even though I n knew what I needed to do. And I look back now and think how absolutely foolish that decision was to put it off, to wait, to try to mull it over more than I already, when I already knew what I needed to do. There is no tomorrow that is guaranteed. There, there's, there is absolutely no moment but now that is guaranteed. If you need someone to talk to, you can come talk to myself. You can come talk to the elders. Find someone that, that has biblical wisdom and knowledge and talk to them, but don't put it off. To be a child of the King, to be pleasing to Him, to live a life dedicated to Him, is how we were and why we were created. And if we turn away from that, if we reject that, then we are rejecting the very nature of who we are. We are turning away from how we were created. We are turning away from our Creator. And God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for you. He wants what is good for you, and He calls you to that, to be His child. To come to Him. To be heirs to the promise. To be redeemed because of His great love for us. Because He is our Creator, our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He loves us dearly. He wants us to change how we live, to change who we are, to be His. I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. At the end, of, the end of 12, you see this uh, kind of half little verse that seems to be connected to 13, and, and it, it really is. It says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. This call on how we're supposed to be, on how we're supposed to act, and so then it goes into to verse or chapter thirteen, 
And this then defines for us this most excellent way. Can you think of a better way to live than the most excellent way? I'm sure you could probably throw a few other words in there to try to make it sound better, but this is the most excellent way. So then it tells us, it says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, uh, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So what is the most excellent way that God has called us to? When we are his children, when we are responding to him, the most excellent way is to live a life full of, devoted to what? Love. To being a kind of person, to being a body of believers that act in love, that our decisions are grounded in love because we cannot or should not want to respond any other way. In fact, when it talks about this in, in chapter 13, what is it like to be acting without love? Can you accomplish great things? Go back and read what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, would that be kind of cool? To speak in the tongue of all men and angels? To just come up here and say, okay, what language do you want me to talk in? And then just be able to speak in every language. That would be kind of cool, right? So if I could communicate, even, even in that way, but I do not have love, what are those words? It'd be like if I came up here and just bang cymbals together, or a gong. Could you imagine if I just came up next week and all I did was try to communicate to you with symbols? How many of you would sit through 40 minutes of that? Maybe we'll try that next week. I'll just bring symbols in and I'll just bang them together in, a, in a some kind of fashion. And how many of you would look at that and go, well, that was great. That was, that was awesome. So the words, even, even if we could communicate in, in all of these wonderful, amazing, eloquent words, but if you have well, not love, then they are just, it's just noise. So could you, could you do great things? Sure, you could. you could. 
even in verse 2, it says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I could do all of that, how amazing would it be to understand and know everything? You'd be like Google, just walking around. People would ask you stuff, and you'd just say, there it is. And yet, if you do not have love, what? Even if you go back, it says, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, and this is pretty harsh wording right here, I am nothing. Even if I could do all of that, had all the wisdom, all the knowledge, but even the faith, if I don't have love, I am nothing. Even, okay, so... All of that's great, but what's, what if I'm a servant? What if, I, what if I give all I possess to the poor? What if I give over my body even to hardship? What if I serve God greatly in all that I do? But do not have love. What have you accomplished? What does it say? I gain nothing. Do you understand the importance of, of love? of acting in love, of responding in, in love, of being a kind of people that are so grounded in love that it is exactly, always, how we want to act, who we want to be. Not, not all of this, but in love. And so do we want to have a, an answer when people, yeah, we want to give an answer, we want to be able to communicate with people, but in love. Do you want to have a, a, a wonderful and amazing faith? Yeah, but in, in love. Do we want to teach and share, and, and do we want to serve God? Yeah, I'm not saying we shouldn't have those things, but they have to be, as it says here, grounded in love. And then it tells us, it tells us what love isn't, and it tells us what love is. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor, others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It does rejoice in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. And so it rounds out this idea of love. That love isn't just this kind of feeling that you fall into or fall out of like puddle of water you just fall into it and oh there's love splash it around a little bit and and share some love that's love is patience love is kindness love is love is goodness love is not boasting love is not being proud so love is humility love is trying to not dishonor others love is not being self-seeking love is not giving over to anger easily love is is keeping no record of of wrongs love is not delighting in evil but rejoicing in the truth. Love is protecting. Love is trusting. Love is hoping. Love is persevering. Love is this wonderful understanding that when we live in love, that there is no failure. Because love never fails. We understand and see this. And, and, and even the more than that, we understand and know this beyond ourselves. Because we can see it outside of ourselves. We can see it come true because our God is love. And in John, the first, first John, not the Gospel of John, 
chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We're just going to read a portion of this, but it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So the first part of that command here is to do what? Let us love one another. Let us love one another. As, as brothers and sisters, as people who are created by God, let us love one another. Because love comes from where? tells us here. Dear friends, start again, dear friends, let us love one another for which reason? Because they always deserve it? Because they're always good enough to earn our love. Right? That's, that's how we would treat our children, right? Obviously not. And that's not what this passage says. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Why, when I look out at you, why am I to love you? Even though we might disagree on some things, even though there might be letdowns, even though there, there might be conflict at times, why, why are we to love one another? Why are we unique, different than the world? Because the world can say, you know, we should all get along, we should all agree, we should all have this and all that, and we should all be lovey-dovey. But, but when God says, we want you to love one another, what foundation is that built on? It is not built on the foundation that even we all agree all the time. It's not built on the foundation that we're good to one another. It's not even built on the foundation that we treat each other nicely, though we should do all of those things. It is built on the foundation that love comes from God. That we are called to be imitators of Him. To walk in step with the Spirit. And so when it says to love one another, we, we look at each other and we see uniquenesses, we see differences, we see heartache, we see sometimes even sin and repentance, we see all of those things. But love comes from God and we are called to love one another. It is not a flimsy, worldly kind of love. Love comes from God. And so we love one another. In fact, you go on into the verse. It says, if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. In verse 12. So not only are we supposed to love one another because God or love comes from God, but when we do that, when we actually begin to accomplish that it says that God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You ever wonder how that works? How is God's love made complete in us when we act out the love that he's called us to? We well, you know God created us and God loves us 
And God has called us to be His, right? To be what is good. To come to Him who is good. And when we do that, He asks us to do what? To be an imitator of Him. And so He calls us to love. To be the kind of people who, who love out in patience and kindness. And so when we begin to do that, we come full circle and we all of a sudden, the love that He bestows on us becomes complete in us because what are we doing? We are acting as imitators of Him. We're being as He's called us to be. We're loving one another. And we see in Scripture that there is no greater command than to love. When Jesus was asked, what did He say? Two greatest commands always are what? You break them down and they are to do what? To love. Love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. To love. Because God is love. And when we are loving that way, then it becomes complete in us. It says that He lives in us. And again, we see this completeness because He first loved us. And I think this is some of the the fallout of the society we live in is that we think we're so advanced and we're so smart and we're so good that we've created God and that we can create what God looks like and how God wants us to act and we can change uh, you know, scripture, we can change how the church works, we can change all of this because we decide it to be so because we're, we're fairly smart and we're good, right? And it's not that way. We have this call to act in a certain way, to respond in a certain way, to be a certain way, because He first loved us. Because God is good. Because God is great. Because God is love. And he first loved us. And when we recognize that, it becomes much easier to come to a relationship with Him in humility and obedience. Because He is calling us to be like Him, not the other way around. Our God is love. And it tells us that He bestowed on us, He showed us this love by giving us the gift of His Son. Turn into Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. How is it that we are, we are saved when we are dead in our transgressions? Our sin always leads to death. The wages of sin is death always. There's no getting around that equation. You know, sometimes I think we as uh, people, when they look at, at Christianity, want to say, well, that can't possibly be true because you skirted death even though you're sinners. Well, sin 
always leads to death. The wages of sin is always death. There is no getting around that. There's no sweeping that under the rug and kind of forgetting that, that it says that in Scripture. It is always that. And that, it should tell us how terrible sin is and how terrible these transgressions are. That we are dead in them. Because God is life and God is love and we are separate from Him if we want to hold on to those things. But then it also tells us later on in the passage we just read in Ephesians chapter 2 that love leads to life. Because of His great love for us, Christ came and died. And so there is death there. Christ came and died. He gave of His life once and for all for the sins of mankind. Sin leads to death. It just doesn't have to be ours. And that is the gift of Jesus. That he came and died for us. Because of God's great love for us. Because of how much he loves us. And so as we began this morning, and I was talking about being in a relationship with him, are, are we willing to accept that God loves us? Are we willing to accept that God calls us out of our sin? Are we willing to accept that we need to be saved? Are we willing to accept the gift of grace? Are we willing to accept that we need to live a life of love in response to the God who loves us? If you're hearing that, if you're hearing that and you're living in it, then we should be praising God and filled with joy. Amazing joy and hope at knowing our salvation that we can stand in confidence before God. And if you're hearing that and questioning your eternity, questioning whether or not you're at peace with God, then do not put it off. Accept the gift of love that God has given. It is His Son so that we can have life because He wants what is good for those whom he created. He wants what is good for us. I want to close by reading in Luke. So turn there and follow along. Luke chapter 23. Starting in verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to the daughters of Jerusalem, Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs, that never bore on the breast, that never nursed, then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. 
and save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly. If we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Then the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. This gift of love, this death on a cross, the giving of his spirit, the giving of his life, so that we could have life. This is love. The love that God has for us. Will we accept it and respond also 